Escape from Plan A. But immigration is what America's all about. Even the Simpson family immigrated to America, right, Grandpa? Okay, you twisted my arm. Simpson's story begins back in the old country. I forget which one exactly. My father would drone on and on about America. He thought it was the greatest thing since sliced bread. Sliced bread having been invented the previous winter. See this, son? That's where we're going to live. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but someday. Later that day, we set sail for America. Good evening, listeners. Welcome to another episode of Escape from Plan A. I'm your host, Oxford Kondo, and we have another special guest episode for you tonight. Um, so I have with me today uh, Kuyan, who's returning from our very popular Crazy Rich Asians podcast. Hi, Kuyan. Hello. And a special guest, somebody whose blog I've been reading for a very long time. He runs the Ask a Korean blog. Uh, welcome, TK. Hello. And uh, TK, when we were f- first supposed to do this pod a little while ago, you had just released, uh, you had just published an article in New York Magazine about BTS. Uh, could you just maybe tell us a bit more about it? Sure. Uh, I published uh, two articles about BTS, and they are somewhat related. The first article was talking about how BTS presents an entirely different strategy of K-pop marketing internationally. Uh, compared to the first generation of international K-pop acts, uh, which was more of a... uh, So the first generation that happened in the early 2000s, they were trying to learn foreign language, release uh, albums in foreign language songs, give interviews in a different language. Boa is an archetypical case of this, where she learned fluent Japanese and uh, charted to the top of both the Japanese chart and the Korean chart. Whereas BTS has uh, doesn't really have English language songs, although some of them speak English fluently. And it is, uh, they're presenting sort of an image of themselves that's perhaps more, uh, more authentic to themselves, less manufactured. So that's the first article. The second article was about how BTS sort of skillfully uses traditional Korean cultural elements into their music, both the music and uh, aesthetics visible in the music video. And that also is a contrast from the first generation international K-pop acts that were, you know, uh, sourcing music from Swedish composers, for example. And they were trying to sort of almost as if they were pretending to trick they're trying it's almost as if they were trying to trick people into thinking that they were not really korean so <laughs> um so their bts is representing an in, uh, a whole new trend in international k-pop and they're finding a level of success that no one else has before so clearly something is working for them yeah so for all you many bts fans out there i will be putting those articles in the reference resources in our podcast description and uh and kuyan uh returning guest uh you you have a podcast right uh about vietnam uh lua Yes, it's called Law. Um, you can find it on www.law.fm. And it's we're also on all major podcast platforms. It's a podcast that covers stories from and about Vietnam. Uh, so we really focus just on stories from and about Vietnam. So uh, and anything from food, culture, history, 
uh, politics, current events, and we have a staff of folks from all over the world and inside Vietnam, and that's what our podcast is on. Nice. So everyone, uh, you should check that out. Uh, so our episode tonight is going to be about a concept that I first learned about in um, on an article that TK wrote several years ago. It's this concept of the immigrant time warp, um, which is well, this idea that uh, for a lot of uh, Asian immigrants who come to the United States, um, they're basically their their idea their ideas about you know society and culture get frozen from the time when they left Asia and they can't evolve because they're now disconnected from Asia, yet they're not, it's not so easy to suddenly, you know, plug themselves into American culture. And I think that has major ramifications on second generation kids, like their kids who are born in America. They're basically being raised in this um, time capsule of a household. But before we get into that, uh, TK, why don't you just tell us more about the, the history of your site? Because it's like one of the premier sites out there, right, for Asian Americans who want to just learn more about Asian culture and like Asian American history and things like that. I suppose so. I mean, it's... <laughs> <laughs> I, no, it is. I still, Trust me, I, is. Look, 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 I, I really have this Groucho Marx thing going on with my blog. I, <laughs> I, I, wrote, I started writing it just because I had a lot of time in my hands and people kept on reading it. So... I think I think to myself like, what's wrong with you people? Stop reading what I uh, stop taking. Stop taking me seriously because the Groucho Marx joke is uh, uh, I wouldn't want to join any country club that is not prestigious enough to uh, allow me as a member. Yeah. So, uh, so I, I like if you read my blog and take it seriously, I'm sort of thinking like, why? <laughs> I remember when uh, you got uh, Malcolm Gladwell. Uh, you got like, got into a feud with him, right? Over the uh, Asia, well, it was like the some airline thing that he yes, wrote. Yes, yes, because uh, in in Outliers, um, Malcolm Gladwell had a chapter dedicated to why uh, Korean airlines. Um, uh, are are more prone to crash, and he t- titled it uh, as "Ethnic Theory of Plane Crashes." Just a very subtle title there, and, <laughs> and I I, th- I really thought upon reading it, I really thought it had uh, Malcolm Gladwell had skewed evidence, did not present them in a fair way, and that issue sort of came to fore when. Um, a few years back, Asiana Airlines uh, air, uh, flight crashed, crash landed into San Francisco airport, killing two uh, passengers. As it turned out, the two uh, two killed passengers. Uh, it's actually the fire engine that ran them over, rather than uh, oh they what? Were, oh yeah, my god! They actually Wait, so, oh so they survived the crash, but then they got out and got ran over by the fire truck. Correct. Yeah, they survived oh the crash, God. but they were oh they, were just, they were just they were just strewn about on the runway, and the fire truck actually ran them over. It's really, it's very tragic. <gasps> um, oh, Rest in peace. Oh, yeah, and after all, uh, yeah, but and, and so after that crash, there was a lot of talk again. It's like, oh, Malcolm Gladwell totally thought the Korean uh, uh, flights would crash because they're Koreans. And, and I thought it was like, look, BS. And and <laughs> I've I've had that issue with outlier that outliers chapter for a long time, and then uh, I finally you know came out and wrote the post that uh, sort of detailed how the many different ways in which uh, Malcolm Gladwell's uh, 
had this ledger domain about the evidence and i also commented on sort of the larger tendency to blame culture for everything especially involving uh things from asia because people find uh because americans find it more foreign Mm -hmm. yeah i mean tiki i can totally relate to your like groucho marx mentality because (laughs) we kind of feel the same thing about plan a because we just started a year ago uh, and, um, I don't want to like flatter ourselves, but you know, we've done better than we expected. You guys are doing and, fantastically. And that both delights us and kind of horrifies us because like, it's, it's like really the, it seems like the, the, like the, the channel is so open, uh, which is like good for people who want to get in on it. But it's also, wow, there was there really nothing out there that. You know, so it's like both a, a curse and a blessing, I think. But uh, I think for all you listeners out there who want to say things, and it's you know, just go ahead. There's really nothing stopping you. Um, <laughs> yeah. All right, so let's delve into this topic. So um, I first read, as I said, the concept of the immigrant time warp on an article you wrote, TK. And I remember it, it was in the context of, of the salad tower, I think, that you were talking yes. about, at, at like Sizzler or something, which I can totally relate to. I didn't have a Sizzler growing up uh, where I'm from in Vancouver, but we had a, a restaurant called Uncle Willie's, which is basically the same thing. It was a mass buffet, and a lot of times like the, the Korean families would go there for our, our nights out. Um, so yeah, why, why don't you just talk a little bit more about that article and just expand more on this concept of the immigrant time warp. Right. So the shortest way of describing immigrant time warp is this. My theory of immigrant time warp, and my theory of immigrant time warp basically says that immigrants, when they immigrate to a different country, since we're all Americans, let's say just uh, when they immigrate to the United States, their idea of uh, their home country their sort of entire value system, their general perspectives tend to be stuck at the moment of the way the country was at the moment when they immigrated. And their sort of mind essentially gets trapped in a time capsule because they are sort of cut off from the evolution of their home society, the the country of their origin. And they don't exactly keep up with the way in which mainstream society uh, values are moving. In Asia. In, in, both in Asia and the United States. So, uh-huh. so uh, something, this is something that I noticed because I'm a Korean American who immigrated in the 90s. And it, it becomes more visible because Korea as a society has changed a great deal in the last uh, 40 years or so, right? And I I moved to LA, and LA is a place where you can run across, you can come across uh, Korean Americans who immigrated from from all decades, right? There are people who moved in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, uh, even 2010s now. And when what I noticed was when I speak to other Korean Americans, there is a clear difference in um, how people perceived Korea depending on when they immigrated. So today, Korea obviously is a wealthy country. It's a, 
you know, we talked about BTS a little bit, but it's a it's a major powerhouse of culture. But when you talk to people who immigrated in the 60s and 70s, you would never get that sense from them. Mm-hmm. That when they talk about Korea, they still talk as if the country is was just wrapping up the war um, and devastated, impoverished, and backwards in all kinds of different ways. And initially, I found it really strange because, you know, again, I moved to U.S. in the 90s, and already in, in the 90s, Korea was a fairly wealthy place. And I didn't understand how these folks could have such a radically different perspective of the country as I was. And eventually, uh, I, I observed enough of this to realize that, oh, this this is what's happening, that uh, their image of Korea is frozen. And not just the image of Korea, but sort of their general value system is frozen at the moment when they uh, immigrate out and never get updated. Mm-hmm. Uh, Korean, you, uh, your family immigrated from Vietnam, so... Uh, are there similar things in the the Vietnamese American community? Yeah, completely, and it's not it's not exclusive to the Vietnamese American community, and for the Vietnamese diaspora, particularly the you know um, PK, you were referencing all of the different eras um, of immigrants for from Korea with Vietnamese with the Vietnamese diaspora. The, the Vietnam War ending in 1975 really marks that moment. So if we're talking about a time capsule, that becomes the, like all of the folks who fled Vietnam after the war ended, the whatever the you know value system and customs that they held right around that time um, becomes kind of emblazoned in their mind and then eventually becomes the value systems that they instill in their in their families growing up and the, the reason why I emphasize that it's not just uh, Vietnamese Americans uh, although I am Vietnamese American and I see this manifesting in my family um, I you know speaking with Vietnamese people from all over the world the same is true um, and so you know I was speaking to a Vietnamese Danish girl uh, just a few months ago, and she was talking about how her mom is hyper conservative, and that that time capsule, um, those value systems is so consistent. And um, when we're talking about um, you know PTSD, the the same thing the same thing is true. Um, all all of these families were impacted by the war. Um, there, there's like this kind of strange relationship between um, how they were affected by the war and then, and then the, all of the trauma from war making it so that they want to hold on to the values in a very particular way, even more. That holding on to the values and the, uh, the, the uh, cultural norms of the time is a way to maintain a piece of the home that they feel that they have lost. And so in my family, uh, the, the way that I first noticed this very clearly is growing up, my, my mom and my aunt in particular, they really emphasized on, like, say, standards of politeness. And so it's like, um, it, it's, it's kind of these these 
uh, very high expectations on how on how uh, a child addresses her elders, um, the way that they hold themselves in the household. And so f- f- as much as I knew, this was a Vietnamese thing. And that's when talking to other Vietnamese um you know, Vietnamese people in the diaspora, I, I find that that is, that's just, they grow up that way. So they assume that that is the Vietnamese thing. Then when I traveled to Vietnam uh, later, you know, in my young adulthood, I expected that I would go to see my family members and I would see the same type of uh, standards in the household. And what I noticed is that none of it was true. <laughs> my my aunts and my uncles none of them like say for example um this is uh, the only way that i can really liken it to anything i've seen in america is the way that uh, people in the south uh kind of address um elders so in vietnamese uh yeah is like a term that you say before anything when you're speaking to an elder if you want to take it to ne- the next level you say yeah thư. so if you kind of parallel this with a norm in america in the south it's like yes ma'am yes sir yes ma'am yes sir and then the minute you you forget to say ma'am or sir you know then you get uh, a backhand so in in the <laughs> a extreme like polite like high standard of politeness in a Vietnamese household you would say like oh do you would you like to eat something then you would say yeah thưa muốn which is like yes I would like uh, I would like some but you're like adding that extra level of politeness and so when I went back to Hue which is considered the most conservative city um, in Vietnam which is where my mom and my aunt are from um, I expected that of course all of my family members from Hue would have the same thing then I would you know when addressing them when say speaking to them I would say yeah thư, yeah thư, yeah thư. Um, but then none of their kids you know they would sit in front of the TV and eat and then they and then the mom would say something like oh do you want some more and they're just like yeah <laughs> which like in my household you would never you know you, you would get in trouble if you spoke that way and so that was my kind of moment where I discovered oh whoa uh why why is this and that's only and or, during that time I started to kind of think about this concept of a uh, the, the time warp um and more and more as I delved into it and I spoke to my mom and my aunt about it then I then I learned oh you know most definitely and they they to a certain extent are aware of it themselves um when I when I speak to them about it if I say to them like oh you know when I went back home you know your brothers and sisters they don't really tell their kids to do the same things that you you told um you know me and my brothers to do and they're like oh yeah well that's that's just how it became after 1975 but we raise you guys with the, those standards, um, so it's it, it manifests for sure in the in the Vietnamese uh, diaspora. Hey, TK, I, I know like Korea's changed a lot, but I can't imagine like getting rid of honorifics in Korea. Can you? Like it would be it would be pretty weird. I mean, I don't really speak it with my parents. I just speak uh, just like I guess like uh, con- like I, I speak to them as, as I would with a friend in terms of Korean when I do speak Korean Whoa. to them, but. But um, with like uh, like other adults, every other adult, there is no way that I would not use honorifics. I would just be like that. That would not end well, probably. <laughs> I I gotta I gotta tell you though, lately I am seeing younger children sort of losing honorifics to their parents, which 
great me. Uh, oh, even. really? And I'm not even very old. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but uh, so TK, when you said that you saw uh, uh, various uh, like variations in the various waves of uh, Korean immigrants, uh, could you give some concrete examples of what those differences were? Sure. So uh, an easy way of thinking, uh, one easy aspect is something like uh, the politics, where people who immigrated in the earlier era tended to be tend to be much more conservative. Uh, in whereas, the American sense, uh, you mean like they, they would vote Republican, or do do you mean like they would like go to church, or like? they would uh, in in I guess that that uh, word conservative needs to be unpacked. It, it can in the U.S. context, it can mean a lot of them uh, voting Republican. That uh, is certainly the case, even among older Korean Americans to this day. It also means in uh, conservative in the Korean political sense, in a uh, in that they are uh, very very strongly anti-communist, anti-North Korea, and in fact they are convinced that liberal politicians of South Korea are themselves communist spies, mm-hmm. who are ready to who are ready to surrender to Kim Jong Un, and they they <laughs> seriously really really believe this. Uh, I, I can personally attest to this because it, my my in laws are exactly like this. Oh, really? Where, <laughs> where every day, because they they know that I'm interested in politics, they always talk about how the current president, our current liberal president Moon Jae In, is a communist spy, and um, and I just try to laugh and move on. But the parallels are are endless with the Vietnamese community. Endless. I would imagine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because like the Korean War and Vietnam War are quite similar, right? In in terms of yeah, like, like, geopolitics. Oh, oh, yeah. yeah, the only thing being that, you know, with Korea, it became North and South and with Vietnam, it didn't. But then mm-hmm. so then what you get instead is what you're referring to now that they, they, they call liberal politicians in South Korea communists, then any, <laughs> any uh, slightly... You know, any any politician in the diaspora that seems like they might shake hands with a government official in Vietnam is instantly is instantly blacklisted by the the Vietnamese overseas community. Mm-hmm. Actually, uh, the interesting thing is I don't I don't know much about Korean politics uh, because I haven't lived there a lot. But the last time I was there was May 2017, which was just when the uh, the Korean elections were happening. So. The really like really great thing I got to see was I actually got to see my parents politically engaged for the first time, because in Canada they they were you know they they weren't even like Canadian citizens until they left, <laughs> which was really weird. So they never voted. I mean, we would like occasionally uh, we would watch the Canadian elections when the returns were coming, but it never really felt like we had much of a stake. Uh, so just to see them discuss politics um, was I, I it was just a great sight for me to see. Um, they, I think they fall kind of like centrist, like center left, center right. They didn't really like Moon Jae-in, but, um, uh, you know, they, they weren't like the other guy, Hong Jun-pyo, I think he was like the more far right candidate. They, they mm-hmm. weren't fans of him. So at, at least that was good. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think moving on, uh, focusing more on the impact this has on their kids is, is, is something that 
I really uh, want to focus on because, uh, you know, we're all like young people here. Uh, and I, I think the, the immigrant time warp uh, is, you know, obviously very hard for the parents, but I think it has also very hard for the kids because uh, especially if they grew up uh, before when there was less access to just a worldwide culture, because your only real knowledge of, of like your ancestral homeland would come from your parents. And if your parents were trapped in that, that time warp, um, you, you're kind of living in a different decade, practically, when you're inside your home. And I think a lot of the problems that young Asian Americans have in terms of like internalized racism, uh, like this desire to assimilate, any like, you know, racial insecurities they have, it, it gets really exacerbated by the immigrant time warp. So I just want to open up the discussion to that. What do you guys think? Yeah, so uh, since we just referred to Crazy Rich Asians earlier, I thought that movie had this one excellent moment that illustrated exactly how this works. Because in the movie, uh, as you guys may recall, Rachel's mom uh, in New York shop they shop together yeah. <laughs> uh, for the for the clothes that uh, Rachel's supposed to wear as uh, she meets her uh, her boyfriend's mother. And Rachel's mom picks out a red dress saying oh it's a red dress uh it's a lucky color and <laughs> she actually wears that dress out to singapore and then to to uh to her friend's house the friend played by aquafina i forget her character's name but peaklin yeah caitlin there we go and oh, then Peaklin, uh, not caitlin <laughs> chicklin i'm sorry you're right uh peaklin yeah that's right um and Ra- Rachel says, like, oh, I'm wearing red. It's a lucky color. And Paiklin says, yeah, for an envelope. So, <laughs> so the Chinese Singaporeans have moved on from that. Chinese Singaporeans have moved on from the red is lucky color. You're supposed to wear red type thing. Yeah. And my, and my favorite part of that scene is even the, the grandpa's laughing at her. Yeah, exactly. And they're so out of touch. Exactly. Wild. Um, Rachel's Brooklyn mother, Chinese American mother, was very sincerely picking out, oh, what would Chinese folks back home would, uh, what, what the Chinese back folks back home would like. So there is a relatively innocuous type of, uh, immigrant type, time warp, but it's a perfect illustration of how it works through from, uh, first generation immigrants, second generation immigrants. Uh, what what about you, Quian? I'm mean, just like uh, maybe we can talk about uh, especially like uh, Quian. You were born in the U.S., right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so maybe like you and I can talk about just what it was like growing up. Uh, I feel like my parents also were stuck in that time warp themselves. The interesting is they moved back to Korea. They they've been there for about ten years now, and when they went back, they also realized that. Um, you know, the, the Korea they were coming back to was so different from when they had left, which is kind of like late seven, I think eighties, like, I think mid eighties when, when they left Korea. Uh, so it, that is their kind of tragedy in that they, you know, uprooted themselves, never really felt home at Canada and they go back to Korea and they're more comfortable there for sure. Cause you know, their, their family and friends and their childhood hangouts are all there, but it's also a very different society and they can never, there's no real place where they can feel totally at home anymore. And, you know, mm-hmm. I, I do feel for them. So, uh, but like from our but, perspective, what, what was it like for you growing up? Really quickly, I, just because I'm curious, um, how 
have they described to you the things that have been the most jarring for them having moved back? Um, unfortunately, like my parents and I, I mean, we, we, we get along well, but we don't exactly open up our feelings. Okay. That no, that's a, that's a perfect uh, segue into <laughs> how I see it manifesting for Vietnamese, um, Americans. I, and again, also uh, the, the, the same is true for just Vietnamese people in the diaspora. And, so what you, the fact that you said that you know y'all y'all don't really talk like that i mean i would say the biggest the most profound impact on the vietnamese immigrant community when it comes to the immigrant time warp is the disconnect that it spurs between um between the vietnamese immigrants and their children and so this uh so this comes in lots of ways most notably just child rearing child rearing customs in vietnamese america yeah sorry in vietnam is obviously very different from um in in america and while this was not true for my own experience just because i had a little bit of a you know while there were standards of politeness and you know uh an emphasis on retaining honorifics uh things like that in my household but uh, extremely strict parenting uh was not as 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 present in my household as it was for many um and and i know this especially in the last few years talking to vietnamese americans and kind of seeing their body freeze up a little bit when talking about their relationship to their parents um because there is a lot that is left unsaid and the reason why i i bring up war when i talk about this is because i really do think that the war the the role of the war its impact on the psyche of of the folks that kind of fled the country after the war um and even those who left the country with without um you know escaping by boat um is such a big component of this and um and and that also causes the parents who raise their children with the the values that were frozen in time, frozen from what they remember in their own childhood and adolescence. It it, it also means that they are they are practicing those value systems, cultural norms, without explaining these things to their children. And so, and and interestingly, in the Vietnamese community, and I don't know to what extent the how recent the war is plays into this, but a lot of times this manifests on an even deeper level, because or not manifests on a deeper level, but it uh, impacts on an, an even uh, deeper level because a lot of Vietnamese, um, a lot of young Vietnamese people don't speak the language um, that well. And so the language barrier causes the disc- the rift to be to be even uh, more widened, and so they're being raised with a completely different um, set of values. And I, I hear a lot of terms about things like uh, you know um, being uh, like discipline methods, and for y- Vietnamese folks who grew up here they look at that and they think that it is abuse. And on one occasion, I was talking to my dad about this and I said, oh yeah, you know, recently I've been talking to a lot of Vietnamese Americans and they have so much um, like resentment towards their parents 
because they were beaten when they were gro- growing up. And, you know, and, and then I, I threw in the word, you know, and then they feel like that type of abuse, something like that. And then my dad, he, he like raised his eyebrows and he was like, well, that alone, it kind of reveals the cultural difference. If you call discipline methods, different dif- discipline methods, abuse to any person in my generation, they will smack you. Um <laughs> And so it, it's a lot of that, right? And so I've, I've spoken to some Vietnamese Americans who say um, growing up, they just didn't understand why their parents spoke to them in a certain way, why they raised them in a certain way. Um, and then there's like, there's a component of affection, right? There's, uh, and this is true across Asian cultures where affection is, <laughs> is, is expressed not through words and you know uh, uh, hugging and kissing um things like it's that it's implied yeah it's implied um you know when you get a pat on your pat on your back or, that is huge but if you say if they if they don't yell at you after that you get your report card then that's a sign that you did an amazing job and you start to to learn that language you either learn that language or you resent that that language and in my in the last few years i've been meeting a lot more people who have resented um that language that they they didn't quite seem to understand and again the the language barrier plays a big role in that disconnect because then they don't understand why their parents are communicating in that way and so i would say like those are the ways that the the time warp is it 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 is exposed and then how it is exacerbated Mm -hmm. Uh, i don't think you even need to go as far as you know very harsh child raising methods because like my parents weren't like that. In fact, in, in like retrospect, uh, they were really pretty chill. <laughs> like I, you know, I have no stories of like being beaten. There was no like intense academic pressure. I mean, I, I think I was pretty self motivated. Like I, I took to school from like day one, so they never really had to, you know, push me to do this or that. Um, but still, even I still felt uh, there was like a long period where you, you feel like that resentment because you feel like you, you know, they're coming from somewhere else, but. They won't really tell you what it is. And there's no way for, at least back then, uh, you know, when I was growing up, like 90s, like, you know, or like early 2000s, there was no real way for you to directly access it yourself via the internet. I mean, we had internet back then, but it was like shit internet, you know, like dial-up modem and stuff like that. So so even when it's not that extreme, there, there are certain things that you don't understand about them. So I think one of the big things was... So when you're growing up, it seems like there are these two competing, uh, there were two competing schools of thought with regards to your future. There was like this very kind of like white liberal ideal of like do what you love, which you saw like all the, like the, like the white kids and especially like the more, uh, the, you know, upper class kids, they all pursued that. But I think what, what my parents and a lot of Asian uh, parents imported, not only because of, you know, like Asian culture or whatever, but just because as immigrants, um, they've, just have this sense that life is a bit more precarious. They don't have much that they can, you know, give you. They can't, you know, they can't like give you all this like land or, or even just things like, you know, connections they can bestow upon you. So they, they really stress, you know, find security and, uh, just, just having feeling tugged between those two things, I think, uh, creates a lot of resentment. I don't know if you guys frequent Reddit, but there's this rather big subreddit called Asian parent stories. A subreddit I despise, 
but I I can understand why it comes about. And it's basically a bunch of like Asian kids talking about how horrible their uh, parents are. And it's not just my parents suck. It's it's like my parents suck because they're Asian, and they blame everything on on kind of like race and culture, which is obviously very fucked up. But um, I think it, I think a big part of that comes from this immigrant time warp in that um, there, there's just this mismatch between just like. The, the, the world that their their parents are still in and that inability to communicate it to their kids. That just, re- that just reminded me of something that drives me insane. It makes me so <laughs> upset. Um, but my aunt is the youngest child in my dad's family. So, she's, so she came over. She didn't escape by boat. I think she did. She tried, but she failed. And eventually um, she was able to get sponsored over to America and I'm, 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 you know, uh, her children, my cousins, uh, we're all really tight, but then th- they're younger. And oftentimes when we're hanging out, they'll, they'll just make all of these snide remarks. Oh, it's just, because, you know, Vietnamese people. Oh yeah. You know, it's a mm-hmm. Vietnamese thing. And I'm like, wait, wait, wait. And also, also because, you know, I, I work on Vietnam issues. I spend all my time talking and thinking about Vietnamese issues. Um, so I'm, I'm familiar with, you know, what's going on in Vietnam and what cultural norms are there. Um, and also I'm familiar with this immigrant time warp. But what I've noticed too, and this is totally related to what you're talking about, this, this subreddit, is that, you know, they, there's then this tendency to, to just, blame all of the things that they find unpleasant about that they the the way that they are were raised or are being raised on this identity like oh that's just you know my mom my mom's like that because Vietnamese people and I'm like whoa 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 (laughs) like you can't you can't umbrella all Vietnamese people to be this way your mom is a very you know has a very distinct flavor of cultural norms in the northern region of Vietnam in 1965, <laughs> you know? And and you're just gonna... And, and also because the less exposed you are to Vietnamese people and Vietnamese culture, the more likely you are. And so the the, the same is true for my, my cousins. I mean, obviously they have their family members and... But, but I would say not very many Vietnamese friends. And so the only... Vietnamese-ness that is that is really dominant in their life is their parents and then that then they use that as kind of like a blanket understanding of the people and it's just frust- extremely frustrating yeah and they never quite escape from it. like you, you see this like uh, among a lot of Asian Americans even when they grow up this concept of Asian-ness is they they Obviously, like in the greater American society, like Asian Americanness is, 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 there's so, it's so weak. We don't really have any, like, power to, like, influence whatever. But to them, I, I think that the power of their parents are still so strong that they still think of Asianness as this oppressive force that can, that still has the ability to hold them back when really it, it was really just like their two parents or, or whatever. Um, and that's the extent of, of like the the pull that Asian Americanness has. But uh, TK, you have kids, so is this something <laughs> you think about? Because you're basically raising the third generation, which is you know a fascinating. Um, it's basically like an experiment. It's like we have no idea what what the third generation is really going to look like. Because I mean, there's most of us are first generation. Uh, there's quite a bit of us second geners, but third generation is still tiny. 
Right, right. Uh, when you visit, I'm starting to, but I, I gotta say, in, in California, when where the immigrant history is longer. Well, I should, I should, uh, I shouldn't forget Hawaii. There are fifth generation Koreans there now. Um, and, but in, even in California, I'm seeing sort of third generation immigrants entering college, and that's sort of that's always somewhat blows my mind. You know, you see the um, you see parents who are second generation, uh, their grasp of Korean language culture is a little tenuous. And then by the time it hits third generation, it gets e- even thinner. On the other hand, um, in a place like LA where there are so many Korean Americans, there's all, I'd say there's something like a fairly distinctive Korean American culture. Where yeah, they yeah. all have sort of artifacts of Korean culture, but it's all communicated in English. So it's it, it to me it's fascinating. But when it comes to my own children, I, I think about time warp constantly. I think about in different. I think about different ways in which I might be time warped, in a sense <laughs> that, um, in a sense that my idea of late '90s Korea and uh, values that I picked up there. Might may not be the same in twenty uh, in twenty thirty when my children are will be hitting their teenage years and start to learn to resent me. So uh, <laughs> no, so that'll I'm, never happen. <laughs> <laughs> not my daughters, no. Um, but I, I'm very cognizant of that, and I'm what I'm hoping to do. And I don't know if that this will actually work out for me, but I'm going to try my best. Is uh, just to expose the children to actual Korea as much as I can, you know, bring them, um, bring them over for summers, uh, have them go to school there. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be actually possible, but I'm, uh, in, in my ideal world, we would live there. My whole family would live there for five, six, seven years just so they can, my daughters can sort of spend at least some portion of their formative years there just so they will, um, get sort of comfortable within their own skin. Um, I, 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 I always, it always sort of strikes me. There's a singer named Lena Park. Uh, I don't, uh, so I don't know. I know her. She's, she's got a great voice. Yeah. Beautiful yeah. Yeah. Voice, so, yeah. Yeah. She's a Korean American and she's actually a pretty successful singer in Korea. Now um, she's from Downey, California, which is right near where I used to live. Uh, and I remember this really clearly. There's one interview that she she gave and the interviewer asked her uh, what was your first impression when you first came to Korea to start your you know singer career and she said I remember thinking wow there are so many Koreans here <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know even for someone who's from Downey California which is like 40% no like which is like 40% Asian American and a strong percentage of them is Korean Americans um for it, you really need to experience that moment when you just feel normal that no one's going to make an issue about uh the way you look and just having that moment just being able to feel comfortable about literally on your own skin i think is a very important moment that hopefully most asian americans will be able to have because just having that experience just puts you in an entirely different, entirely different uh, mental place. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm a personal testament to that because I spent a couple of years after college in Korea. Because when I was in college, my parents moved back to Korea. Once I graduated from college, um, you know, I didn't have concrete plans what to do after. So I just saw it as an opportunity to just spend time in, in you know, my ancestral homeland, which I had never gotten a chance to do before. I mean, I would, I visited, you know, every like five years or so, like a lot of uh, like Asian immigrant families do. But it was a very, you know, control, it's, they're very controlled visits because you're always staying with grandma. You're young, so you can't really go anywhere by yourself. And you would, you know, basically make like these pilgrimages to your grandparents' home and your various relatives. And then, oh, you got to go home. And that was really the first time in which I was kind of like given free reign to just build my own life there for a couple of years. And I think that that's so important for you, for like, a young Asian American to be able to see and experience everything um, through their own volition, as opposed to being there uh, as as like a tag along to their parents, uh, because then you get to uh, kind of build your own story there, as opposed to always thinking of this place as where my parents came from, where my parents went to school, etc. It's like no, it's like actually where I did this and that, and you just build a much stronger connection to it. And the only thing that bothers me about that, though, is that I did have this great privilege of basically having like two years to to spend uh, without having to worry about having a full time job or whatever. I don't think a lot of Asian Americans have that opportunity. So if the only way they can feel this is to spend such significant time there, I, I think that may be too high a barrier for a lot of people to to enter. Okay, right, it uh, would be. Yeah, Akuyan, did you ever spend um, like significant time like independently in Vietnam? I didn't spend a significant time, but I think the all of the trips that I took back to Vietnam were, I think, definitely enough for me to form an, a, a nuanced understanding. And it also, it's about relationships, right? Because that is the way that you maintain an understanding and a connection to the country and so I, I i you know i haven't lived in vietnam for multiple years um but uh, you know every every time that i went back to vietnam i spent a lot of time just connecting with young folks out there and maintaining communication with them and to this day you know i just have i have a lot of friends in vietnam um but i you know interestingly enough for vietnamese uh, americans and and this is true for again all Vietnamese people in the diaspora, but particularly with Vietnamese Americans, the anti-communist sentiment uh, all makes it so what you all are describing as like this important thing for you know Korean uh, Korean Americans to experience going back to Korea to, and experiencing it independently rather than as a family trip or whatever. For Vietnamese Americans. There are so many, there are so many Vietnamese, young Vietnamese Americans that want to go back to Vietnam. But the minute that they bring it up to their parents, the parents say things like, don't go, don't do it. Oh, you really? Know, uh, people, wow. people get people get murdered out there. You don't know. Like, it's so dangerous out there. Um, you know, the jungle laws that the the country um, is, is run under, you know, you don't know what's going to happen to you. And then and, and and that'll still, you know, like when I first, and this is a while ago, but, you know, my first trip back to Vietnam was, um, you know, almost a decade ago. And 
actually it was it was a decade ago and and all of my mom's a lot of my mom's friends would be like oh my gosh I can't believe your daughter she's so courageous it's so this 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 idea again this is is a, this is also a time warp thing because the the um the post war turmoil um and and also like crime ridden um uh, country that they that has become emblazoned in their mind has not changed that much um despite being in you know being in america for several decades they still assume that vietnam looks a little bit something like that um and so i i've spoken to many vietnamese americans who either have not gone yet and have been told by their parents to not go um or have gone you know against the 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 request of their their family members um, for them to to not go and it's and but all of the things that you both are saying about the value of it and the way that it uh, gives you a deeper understanding of your identity um, is is holds true entirely and so that's that's just like a little battle that a lot of young Vietnamese folks go through. Actually, that reminds me of one great. Uh... Uh, one great story. Let me just share this really quickly. Um, there is a writer named Alex Jong. He's uh, he writes for the New York Magazine, The Vulture Magazine, and he one time once wrote this really lovely essay about um, live going back to live in Korea. The thing about Alex is he's gay, and he sort of talked about being able to live in Korea for an extended period of time and date other gay Korean men. And how different that was um, about how different that actual experience was in relation to the types of environment that he grew up as a Korean American and how Korean American society uh, sort of treated LGBT people. Because Korea today is it's not the not the most tolerant society for uh, for LGBT folks, for sure, but it is rapidly uh opening up and liberalizing in that respect and plenty of gay people sort of live and uh live and date and sort of have their own lives there and for for alex to actually experience that aspect uh was a big sort of a moment when he uh was able to jump through that uh time warp and say oh this is a, uh this is how the, the the home country has moved on on this in this respect yeah, it always pisses me off when Asian Americans, especially like young Asian Americans, they develop that sanctimonious attitude towards, uh, you know, like, I guess the, the native Asians. Uh, and, and that's also a consequence of, you know, the immigrant time warp. If, you know, their parents had certain attitudes, um, and, and they think that's still like it in Asia. And, and then there's like this thing that gets, you know, lost in translation. I'm, <laughs> I remember seeing this, uh, somewhere. I think it was on Reddit. Um, some like Korean American was saying, "Oh, Koreans are so racist. Did you know that the same word for black uh, for black people is dirt? And it, it's because it's a homonym. It actually sounds the same, but it's a the spelling's different. Like hook uh, mean yeah. can also mean black and dirt. So when when like hugin, which is a which is a, the term for black people, it, it just means like black people. It doesn't mean dirt people, but that's it sounds the same. Yeah, that's yeah just and ignorant. that's just no. that's just pure ignorance, oh, and, and you just yeah. hear it. And I bet they're like, oh, you know what? Uh, I saw I saw what like people said about the LA riots. You know, Koreans are just like the you know racism just runs in our blood. You know, Confucianism or some bullshit like that. Um, and so yeah, I think going to Asia, you you get 
you know, th those things, you get to experience what it's really like. And, and Queen, I just wanted to say, I, th I thought it was really funny that there are like, you know, older Vietnamese Americans who think Vietnam is this dangerous place. Because, I mean, to me, the stereotype is like, people, like Vietnam's kind of a tourist trap nowadays for very like privileged, soft white kids who, you know, they go to this mm -hmm. country. And, like, everything is made very easy for them as opposed to exactly. you know, actual, actually dangerous countries. They're not like going to Iraq, you know? <laughs> like, yeah, so. yeah, yeah. But, and, and that's a perspective that you as a non Vietnamese, American have has but there are lots of Vietnamese Americans who I don't know about lots but there are Vietnamese Americans who listen to their parents and there's still a little bit of that perception actually only in the last decade or so I would say has that started to really uh, be become something that is undone in the Vietnamese community but uh, yeah you know this is something that you say but in the Vietnamese community that you would have to do some hard convincing to a lot of you know 50 something year old v uh, Vietnamese people out here who think that if you go to Vietnam you might still get murdered and like I don't think I don't think a lot of Koreans ever thought uh, Korea was dangerous but I, I do think for a long time there's this concept of you know, why would anyone go there? People go to Japan, people go to China, uh, you know, people go, go to Thailand. But it's like Korea is like, you know, there's, you know, there's nothing that exactly stands out, uh, at least from a Western point of view, until more recently, because of like pop culture, there's so many people who want to go there now. Uh, so even, even me, um, for a long time, you know, I enjoyed going there, but I never thought of it as a tourist destination. But nowadays people think it is, which I think is great. <laughs> Yeah, so here's something that'll blow your mind, Oxford. This is something that I literally heard from somebody, oh, uh, yeah, somebody what? who immigrated from the 60s. This person thought visiting Japan was a really dangerous idea. This is Korean American. Oh my God, what? Because, because <laughs> get this, because Japan is a home to a lot of uh, former North Koreans. Actually, that's not even the right way of saying it. Uh, there are Korean Japanese people whose allegiance... Uh, belong to North Korea because see when Koreans emigrated to Japan there were no North and South they were there they were just uh, colonized people and then the division happened later so the Japanese Korean I'm sorry the Korean Japanese community in Japan sort of split into two and uh, there's a organization called uh, Chongnyeon that is basically sort of more North North pro North Korea uh, faction of those Korean Japanese and those people were South Koreans all thought they were basically spies who were trying to kidnap them and murder them and things like that and truth is the kidnapping uh, did happen from North Korea from time to time so literally live to my face a Korean American person who immigrated in the 60s uh, told me oh you shouldn't be visiting Japan the Chongnyeon people are uh, trying to uh, trying to kidnap wealthy Korean Americans just like you <laughs> <laughs> yeah the concept of Japan as a dangerous place is is so like weird <laughs> But I think the the good thing is, um, I, you know, as I mentioned before, I mean, the sad thing is a lot of Asian Americans probably won't have the the advantage of getting to spend, you know, a year or or even more more time in Asia. But you know, now you know, Asia can be brought to us, right? It's we don't always have to go there. There's um, just 
even just like hanging out with, uh, you know, I always enjoyed hanging out with uh, like 1.5 generation Koreans. Uh, actually, more so than like second generation people like me, because yeah, you know, they just seemed more, just kind of like more secure in, in their own, um, just like selves. Uh, but you know, if you go to like a like a K town in in New York City, or I'm sure in in like L A, there is this distinct, um, like Korean culture that still survives by like the young people who come here and they bring it to their, um, you know, where if you go hang out in. In a restaurant or like a karaoke place, um, you know, various like drinking games they have or just the, you know, pop culture they consume, you, you, you know, it can be brought to us. So I think, I think that's really good. Have you guys seen that happen? With Korea, certainly, absolutely, because there's Korea is now a major epicenter of pop culture. And hope, and what I'm seeing a lot, especially in the LA area, is even third generation Korean Americans. Sort of grow up um, on watching Korean movies, TV shows, pop culture, to a point where they actually have a pretty solid understanding of way things go in Korea. Now, I, we have to be <laughs> a little careful because television is not the same thing as reality, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there, you're there telling me K dramas li- aren't reality. <laughs> oh my gosh! Like you, you, you would never guess how disappointed people. <laughs> people get when i tell them the tv's not real um (laughs) but you know at least the the, the time warp aspect has gotten significantly better because the the culture is more available uh over the internet and travels easier yeah what's it like for like like vietnamese american youth culture it's like what what are like what are young people in vietnam like (laughs) (laughs) Uh, well, here's the pl- oh my gosh yeah well here's the plot twist um you know you're talking about koreans and <laughs> korean americans and their understanding of korea and koreans and uh vietnamese folks uh really know a lot about korea and koreans <laughs> because uh that's the that that's the most you know i always call it the hegemonic pop culture force of asia right and so actually the the you know young vietnamese folks who emigrate to america nowadays they they have a crazy high understanding of of uh, a lot of uh, young korean culture uh sometimes a lot more than the way that they're tuned into whether that's vietnamese youth culture or vietnamese american youth culture and so then when it comes to vietnamese americans uh i mean it's it's I, I think the access, uh, I have to say, is is totally different. Um, there is a little bit of, you know, awareness of cool things happening in Vietnam. I mean, there's so much just amazing youth culture in Vietnam, just like there is in all, uh, all over Asia, right? You go to Taiwan, Thailand, you know, all over, all over Asia, you have these very distinct youth cultures. Um, and I think that for Vietnamese Americans who are interested, they may be a little tuned in, you know, there's some folks who have gone mainstream or a little, you know, more global, like Suboy, the, the, the young Vietnamese, uh, female rapper, um, Sorry, I'm trying to stop calling female rappers female rappers. So the young Vietnamese <laughs> rapper um, who has kind of, 
has gained global attention and, and fame. And so a good amount of Vietnamese Americans are tuned into that and think that's cool. But in terms of consumption and and a deep, I guess, understanding or a, being tuned in to Vietnamese youth culture, I would say that there's still a pretty large um, disconnect. Yeah, I mean, I, I do wish every like Asian ethnicity would get to experience that because I, uh, as like a Korean, it I, I know how how good it feels to see people of your like own ethnicity um just kind of like rise to the occasion and i and it's great i think that a lot of other asians have um have embraced like you know korean uh pop culture and you know i hope they continue to do so but i hope that it it, i hope like korean pop culture acts as kind of like a like a it establishes uh the idea that that asians can look up to other Asians that we don't always have to look up to, you know, Hollywood or, or Europe or whatever. And from that, uh, they can expand so that we see like, uh, you know, Vietnamese, uh, pop culture come, uh, emerge or like Chinese. Uh, I mean, like China is pretty big, but yeah, I, I think they're still trying to, uh, f- uh, you know, find their footing or like Filipinos, uh, you know, just like all over Asia. Cause it is an incredible feeling to, to see that. Yeah, most definitely. Uh, TK, you you want to talk uh, about some more like serious things like foreign policy? We can we can talk about that as well. Can we take a quick time out? We are uh, we just went past the one hour mark, and I do have to get on an actual different call. Oh, um, uh, okay. Oh no, yeah, sure. We uh, we can. Yeah. I mean, we can, you can always come back. Uh, you know, an hour. We you know we usually try to keep episodes at an hour anyway. Yeah. So I think. Uh, you know, the, if we start talking about foreign policy, I think we we're gonna launch into another thirty minute discussion. <laughs> exactly. and, uh, yeah, we'll uh, save so. that for another one. Um, so, do you guys have any plans to go back to Asia anytime soon? I go all the time. I usually go two or three times a year because of my work, and I'm oh, very really? lucky to, that way. To Korea, or it's like all over Asia. Usually, uh, usually Korea, sometimes to China. Oh, cool. Mm. I I go back I go to Asia if work takes me to Asia but uh otherwise uh, I'm not I'm not a big self-funder of trips <laughs> anywhere um but I do plan to go to v- back to Vietnam sometime hopefully in the next 2 years. Yeah, I'm going to Korea in January which will be almost 2 years, uh, a little short of 2 years since the last time I went. Uh, I mean, the you know, the sad thing about working is you no longer have those long breaks to go. So you got to, you know, find time and you also want to go other places. So, you know, but uh, it's like a good time to go back. I, I also plan on going to Tokyo, uh, which I've never been to. I did go to uh, Osaka and Kyoto last time I was in Korea, you know, because it's such a short flight over. So this time I'll check out Tokyo. All right. Um. So that was that was a fascinating discussion. Uh. TK and Klient, uh Thank you so much for coming on our pod. Uh, please come back. Uh. You know. Anytime you guys want. <laughs> we love to have you. We have lots to talk about. Uh. Yeah. So any any final words you guys want to share? You know things you're working on. Things you want to promote. Maybe. Yeah. Sure. Um. Just because the last main thing that we talked about was as youth culture, pop culture. Uh. Since I started off 
introducing law, my podcast on Vietnam, stories from and about Vietnam. We have an episode on on Vietnamese pop that y'all can check out on our podcast. So again, it's www. Yeah, again, it's www.law.fm. We're also on Stitcher, iTunes, SoundCloud, and you can check us out. And then coming up soon, we'll also have an episode coming out on skateboarding in Vietnam. So very much so oh, diving wow. into yeah, diving into a piece of like Vietnamese youth subculture. Uh, thanks a lot, Quyen. Uh, TK, anything you're writing uh, right now uh, that we might see published? Sure. Uh, my blog is www.askkorean.net, and I've been writing quite a bit about BTS and a new era of K-pop. I'm currently working on producing a documentary series on YouTube. Oh, uh, it'll be a whole 12 episode um, season long thing where it'll be the deepest dive into history of uh, in history of Korean pop pop music uh, in, in on video anywhere that is available in English. I'm also I'm also writing, I'm co-writing a, a book that would be basically the same idea, chronicling the full history of Korean pop music. All that stuff is, I'm working on them currently. Uh, they will be out, hopefully not too, uh, not too far down the road. Are you working with any of like the, the K-pop beat writers, you know, the ones who work for like Billboard and, and you know, like you know places like new york magazine you know teen vogue you know because there, i have a friend who, who's a music writer and she she writes about k-pop and, and you know there there is like a dedicated core of, of people who do this are, are you working with anyone like that who's your friend uh <laughs> she's cat <laughs> kelly okay um so my main co-author is a guy named young day kim who was amazing he is a voting member of the korean music awards which is uh k-pop's grammys and uh he already has written several books in Korean about history of Korean hip hop. He's one of the first generations of uh, hip hop critics. And beyond that, I'm friendly with lots of people, and I communicate with all, uh, with them all the time. I uh, speak frequently with uh, Mark Russell, who wrote the first English book, English history book on. Uh, Korean pop culture generally back in the late uh, back in early 2000s oh cool well I, I didn't realize you were so had so many projects going on eagerly awaiting them please let us know when they're going to come out we'll uh, we'll promote it thank you okay uh, so yeah a great pod guys I uh, hope you have a good night and um, we'll we'll be releasing this soon awesome thank you so much thank you Hi, thank you for listening to this episode of Escape from Plan A with our special guest TK from the blog uh, Ask a Korean and a returning guest, Kui Yen, uh, who first appeared on our Crazy Rich Asians episode. Um, hope you liked it. Uh, if you want to read our articles, please go to www.planamag.com. And if you like our pod, please subscribe to us and give us a five-star rating on all the platforms we're on, you know, iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, and so forth. So until next week, we'll see ya. Bye, everyone.